Well, hello and welcome to the Jan Arden Podcast. This is the second episode in the series of our very best of episodes for your summertime enjoyment. And boy, do we have a great one for you this week. This we're calling Funny People. And Canada certainly has provided us with a lot of funny people over the years. Today, you're going to hear from Rick Mercer. What can I tell you about Rick Mercer? He was a man responsible for a lot of my scariest moments in my life. Um, He's going to tell us about his terrible report card, terrible drinking stories, uh, and kissing me on the CN Tower. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Wendy McClendon Covey. The name probably rings a bell. She is the star of the long time running The Goldbergs. You will know her from uh, Bridesmaids. She is hilarious and she's very sage and very wise. She talks about how she got started in comedy and the importance of having a supportive partner, which she does with her husband, Greg. Uh, Jonathan Torrens, Canadian charmer. Uh, He talks about his hilarious and varied roles that he's had over the years in Canadian comedy. And you would recognize him. He's been in so many things. What a great guy. What a stand-up guy, no pun intended. And here's a a name that you wouldn't be that familiar with. Geroid Fairley is an Irish comic. He is hilarious. He's a writer. He's a producer. And he has a podcast. Anyway, trying to make stand-up comedy work in a pandemic, he's going to tell us all about it. Don't go away. Here's a special episode of the Jan Arden Podcast. When you were traveling the country endlessly, John and the gang and John, and you needed to sleep sitting up because the places that you went, you'd start on big planes. They would go to medium planes. They'd go to small planes. And then you were like on hang gliding into some of these jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then a lot of time and yeah, it really did serve me well, actually sleeping. (laughs) And I always get enough sleep. I always have. I don't, I'm life. not a good sleeper. I, uh-uh, I'm not a good sleeper at all. And especially now, what about I'm just these like, apps? what about these apps? I'm doing like, the Calm app. We've talked about the Calm app on the show before where somebody reads you a story. I, you'd be great at reading stories for apps. I'm going to contact the Calm people and say, Rick Mercer, because I would listen to, because you have a great, Newfoundlanders probably don't think they have an accent, but you guys have a great accent. Could I read a story, like a calm story? Yes. Suddenly on page five, go, ah! No. Like suddenly get really dramatic. Yeah. No. Yeah, they they might fire you on the spot, and it might become one of the least. stories? Well, you know, people read about getting on a train, the Orient Express, and they start you off on the, the platform where you, where the red carpet is rolled. I don't, I forget the Orient Express, I think has like a blue carpet that you walk on and they talk about the walnut fittings and it's like just this thing. And you could talk about literally walking around Newfoundland at Cape Spear and talking about the crap blowing out of your car, but in a calm voice. In a calm voice. The car door like opened and I think I was smoking at the time and my cigarettes flew out the door. It's quite erotic as well. Is this the uh, point in the podcast? Because every time we're together, at least once, I say to you, when are we going to write a song together? You've been avoiding this for years. And now there's a pandemic. Like, what, what excuse do you possibly have? Okay, this is what we're going to do. And you're yeah. hearing it from me live right now. Yeah. Send me one stanza 
We're going to start with the lyric. Okay. Send me a stand and be serious about it. And I'm I going serious. to, I'm going to write music for it. Okay. In the next 24 hours, I'm going to sit here with my guitar. Right. And I'm going to write a melody and I'm going to record it and I'm going to send it back to you. And you no. can tell me, yeah, we are, we're going to, we are going to friggin' do this. We like owe it Bernie to each other. Elton. Well, we owe it to each other to see if we really are. Yeah. Topin so do and I write John. It, I, and I have to write it as I'm writing a stanza and I'm thinking, this is a Jan Arden song. No, do, don't, Wouldn't don't you? think in those terms. I, I think you should be, it's going to get Jan Ardenized anyways, because even when I try not to write like me, I write like me. Yeah, of but course. you write the lyric. Okay. And, and I'll write the music, and then we can okay. go back and forth, and then you might want to tweak it. Can we go up here? Can we repeat that? Oh, can we do a God. yeah, yeah there? Is that what musicians do? I never write with anybody, so I don't know. You don't, do you? So this is a huge honor. Whenever I've written with Buble, he just sends me music, and he'll, he'll say to mm. me, I want this to be about my wife. He has a couple of lines in there. That he likes he has such a sense of structure and uh, then i just like scribble out lyrics and send them back to him well as soon as this is over i'm going to google and find out what a stanza is well i just mean like a paragraph like a, a I verse got that. I got sorry you. i should i don't even know why i said stanza why am no, i being I, all fancy <laughs> i know what a stanza is <laughs> well i don't know what a stanza is did you did you so you went to theater arts yeah did you want to write plays? Rick, I was so scared about not knowing what I wanted to do. I thought someone who was kind of homely like me, short, whatever, chubby. Actually, I wasn't chubby at 18. I was like, I bet you I was, were I was like Xena, the warrior child. I, was I so bet you fit. were gorgeous. And I think everyone looks back at themselves when they're 18 and goes, I was kind of hot. I just, but yeah, They never exactly. think that at the time. Yeah, well, my mom said, I don't know why you're not showing your arms now, because in 20 years, then you'll be sorry. <laughs> but I, uh, I didn't, I was mortified. I didn't know what to do with myself. It's like you, I think you, you were hit with that bug, that theater acting, because you were so involved with Codco. I mean, you were a teenager. You were doing stand-up and stuff like that, weren't you? Like, you just plowed into it. I was doing sketch comedy. We were, we, the theater group that I was hanging out with. We started doing sketches. And of course, when you're 16, 17, you want to be outrageous. So you were saying all sorts of outrageous things. And our, our theater teacher said, you can't do this here in school anymore. Like we're, we're just all gonna get in too much trouble. So she said, go downtown. There was a theater down there called the LSPU Hall and we started doing shows. And then we kind of fashioned ourselves on this group called the Wonderful Grand Band. So we got a rock band and there was like music and sketches and we would play bars and that's what we did. Played play to who? To other young people who shouldn't have been in bars. Like, it was ridiculous. Half the high school. There was this one bar called Bounders, and it was this bar that was essentially empty. And we went in and convinced the owner that they should book punk rock and comedy. And everyone in my high school drank in this bar. It was ridiculous. And we would host the shows. I remember we did a Halloween show, and uh, I was brought out in a coffin, and oh, Jesus. Andrew Young Husband, Andrew Young Husband, uh, who was in the comedy troupe, was Young horrified. Husband? Yeah, Young Husband. He's, is he the last on, name? Yeah, he hosted um, Canada's Worst Driver. But uh, anyway, he was horrified that I would lie in this coffin. I was like, it's not a real coffin. They carried me out. He was like, I could never get in a coffin. Oh, my God, that's terrifying. Uh, he was just totally freaked out about it. And other people got in the coffin as well throughout the night, everyone's like, glug, glug, glug. Anyway, Andrew, near the end of the night, gets in the coffin 
and passes out. So someone closes the coffin because that would be hysterical. And he woke up at four in the morning in the coffin, the bar closed. I would have died. Well, there you go. I, I would have died in the coffin. So Imagine I would have been ready. Imagine somebody laid a, a PV amp on top of the coffin or something. And he ran home and he had to go to school the next day because his deal with his parents was he was allowed to uh, play in the bars, but he always had to go to school the next day and he wasn't allowed to drink. Well, that's so fair. He, well, but he did drink. That's why he was passed out in the coffin. But he, uh, he did go to school the next day. I remember he was really freaked out. I have so many drinking stories that make my head like want to spin off my body. The most Canadian drinking story that I have in my life, and I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but I'm going to tell you, Rick. Okay. And I'm, well, you and, a, you and the listeners. Okay. I got so hammered. I believe I was in my very early 20s. I was out here in Springbank, Alberta. You've been out here in my in yep. my uh, home. I had sex with a guy in a hockey net that was turned upside down. <laughs> <laughs> and we kept going through the holes. Oh, okay, well, I didn't mean to say that. I meant the... Okay, sorry. I The, the, the net, it and was a net. that man was Ralph so his <laughs> That man was not so Ralph Canadian. Klein. That man was not Ralph Klein. Okay. Sorry, my dog is now barking, but I just remember it being very uncomfortable and my arm kept slipping through and he was trying to hang on to like the posts <laughs> on the side. So you know you're too young or immature to have sex when you're thinking on an upside down hockey net. How is this a good idea? But that truly, as I look back at my fine character now, Yes. That is the most Canadian drinking story that I have. And then I think he threw up. <laughs> <laughs> because he hadn't drank enough. And a lot of times, if the fellas wanted to drink more here in Springbank, Alberta, you'd have to throw up in order to, like, have a few beers and feel okay about it. Like, I just, why am I, why are we alive? I don't know. Okay, oh, we I have one minute and it's all yours. I want to, what's your most Canadian drinking story? I, I think I, it's hard to top that. I think that that's the most ridiculous thing. I, uh, I don't really have a lot of them. No, you were a good guy. You were, guy. You were reasonable. Had, never, I'm I, sorry, no, I put I you on reasonable. the spot. No, no, I was reasonable when it came to that stuff. And that's it, folks. He was reasonable. I have <laughs> never seen you drunk in my life. Did you no. know me when I was drinking? You must have. Yeah. You know what? I was hung over going up the CN Tower with you. I know we have like 30 seconds left, but sure. I was so, so on top of being on top of the CN Tower, I was yeah. so hung over. I don't drink anymore, folks. And now I you know. can, now you know why. Yeah. And you're happier now. Oh gosh. I, yeah. I'd be super happy if there wasn't a pandemic. I think I'd, you know, be super, super happy, but I'm happy that you were our guest today. Cause now I'm we have happy. like I'm happy 15 seconds. To be here. Rick Mercer. We still have adventures to go on. We sure you do. You and me. We're, we're an act, right? Yes. Okay, folks, stay tuned. Rick and I, we're going to think of something. Maybe we're going to do a variety show. We haven't decided yet. Like a little, a little soft shoe, a little singing and dancing. Or a musical. A musical. Send me your stanza. I will. I'm going to get working on it. Uh, you've been listening to the Jen Arden Podcast. I've been talking to my friend. The fabulous, talented, amazing Rick Mercer. Welcome back to the Jan Arden Show. Wendy McClendon-Covey is here. Wendy, I've been so freaked out 
since you said that you would do this, I, I, I do want to go into like your unbelievable career. Wendy McClendon Covey is known for many, many things. The Goldbergs playing Beverly, who is one of the most iconic, crazy MFers on television ever. And the fact that she's based on an actual person is even more outlandish. Um, Reno 911, which is so hilariously redonkulous, Clementine. Um, there's a million movies. You're a writer. You are uh, you you are a cat lover. Bridesmaids. I would be remiss if I didn't absolutely. And I know you're inundated with that. And when is there going to be a number two, three, four, five, six? I know there's never going to be one, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Sorry. But no, no, don't be sorry. Well, to, to everyone that keeps asking, I, I wish I had different news for you, but that's that's how it is. And and you're also married. You you live in Los Angeles. You are a, an extremely successful actor, and you've been married for a long time to a really wonderful guy. And I'm always like blown away by your stories about him, how you speak about him, your holidays with with your partner. Tell me about how you guys met and how is this possible. Well, for one thing, I think it's possible because we don't actually, we live in LA County, but we actually live like, like 30 miles outside of Los Angeles. That's the trick. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. So when I come home, I'm home and not everybody is talking about, you know, the business, which is exhausting. So I live actually uh, maybe five miles from the house I grew up in. My parents no. still live there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. And we met in community college. Okay. So like loser school, loser college. It's not loser college. No, it isn't. But we were, we were, you know, a little too old to be there, but you know, we were, well, I shouldn't say that because you know, it, you're never too old to do anything, but I know um, what you mean. Yeah. You know, it was just like, all right, time to get our lives started. And I had just come off a breakup that I had made into such a big deal. Although there was really nowhere for this relationship <laughs> to go. But, but still, I had managed it stings. To, yeah. I had managed to really make it a big thing. And at the end of that, I met Greg. Is and it just when you least expect it? Yeah, when you're not looking, when you're absolutely not looking. So then we got engaged secretly, like three months after we met. And three then, months, 12 weeks, 90 days. <laughs> <laughs> but then we didn't get married for like another two and a half years because okay. we didn't have any money. I was living with my parents. He was living with his parents. We had no money. And so... um you know, that's how that happened. And 25 years later, here we are. But we see the story over and over again. You get, you, you meet young and then all of a sudden you have this career that explodes. You are pulled in a hundred billion different directions. You meet all these great looking people that are in this industry and you're away on shoots for weeks, maybe sometimes months at a time. And then the seams start coming undone, but you guys look so goddamn solid. Like I see you don't do a lot of him on Instagram, but when you do, it makes my heart squish. <laughs> he is the greatest guy. Okay. In Fine. existence. Okay. And everything he does is perfect. So that's it. That's it. No, I, he 
is and literally he's not, he's not in the industry. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. He is literally the only person that ever encouraged me to go and follow my dreams. And when I was in the Groundlings, which is for people who don't know, it's a an improv comedy theater in Los Angeles. It's very very tough. One one of the best guys. One the Groundlings is is the people look it up. Yeah, look it up. The people that have come out of the Groundlings are exactly like Wendy. They're just stellar, unbelievably successful people. He worked two jobs to pay for all that stuff. I was working part-time. He did it all without complaint while I was buying costumes, buying wigs, doing all these things. He would help me rehearse my lines. He would go to my shows. You don't get that kind of support. And I will never hurt that man. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. There, there is no one else that is better. You know, if I'm away on a shoot, I get how, how people stray. Yeah. I'm never gonna, because there's no one ever, ever that can give me what he gives me. That's it. Full stop. I don't understand why people don't get that. When, when you meet a solid person, when you've had someone with you your whole life and you see these stories again, anyway, it's very inspiring. Your, your husband's inspiring. Um, the cats, you have one of my very favorite Instagram pages. And I just want to tell folks, like when you follow me on Instagram, I phoned everyone that I knew <laughs> that, that would accept my call still. And I just said, Wendy McLennan Covey is following me on Instagram. Like I just was thrilled and it is, but you have my favorite Instagram. I look at you. That's one of the last feeds that I look at before I go to bed because you have hilarious heartwarming pet stuff. And I'm inundating people with like, stop eating effing meat. You guys are cruel bastards. I, like my feet's just like, I had to stop following you, Jan, because your animal activ activism is, is horrifying me. But you're like, but no, but you're like this wonderful small things in boxes, like cuddling up with bananas and chimp. It, it's, I don't even know how you find this stuff. Yeah. My, my stories, I just, you know, I used to get real militant in my stories about politics and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes yeah. I still do, but I figure, you know what, if, <laughs> if a baby cow with a frog on its back is giving me joy, it's going to give somebody else joy. So I try to just only put like cute animals or, you know, uplifting things in my stories. Cause they're great. I'm trying to chase the blues away always. And I figure someone else you know, would probably rather see that. Than no, it, it's a great way to go to bed. And I do. I love it. It's you're, you're very, I, I like how you curate, curate your page. It's amazing what we choose to show each other. And you, you're not like your, your whole page is just filled with your life. And I'm always surprised at your vulnerability. Like you see little glimpses of your house. The cats are hilarious. How many cats do you have, Wendy? Seven. Seven cats. And, and okay. we sure did not start out. Uh, no, it never does. Seven, but they keep showing up. And I can't turn. No, I can't turn a baby away. You know, so <laughs> it was Butters the latest. Butters followed me home on July 30th. And has never left. Followed you from where home? I was on a late night hike around because where we live right now, there's like a lot of hiking trails. And I was off, you know, on a dark night of the soul, just looking for signs from the universe <laughs> for something. And I, um, this big friendly kitty showed up and followed me home. 
And uh, he's never left. Now we looked for an owner and we looked for a chip. He was not fixed and he was old enough to be fixed. I don't know what the problem was. Um, so I don't know where he came from, but he's my little angel boy. And um, we got him fixed, got him all his shots. And yep. He lives here it's, now. Now we're moving. <laughs> oh no. Now we're moving to a different place. And I think um, cats will stop showing up. Because there's something about this house. Wendy, thank you so much. Thank you, Jan. I just love you. Well, it's so mutual. And you have been, like I said, just so unbelievably supportive, kind, generous. When you meet someone that you've admired for such a long time, and especially when you do from afar as a fan, and you know this because you admire so many people's work, and then you do get a chance to meet them at a function. And Sometimes it can be really great. And sometimes it can be like, oh, for Jesus sakes, really? Right. When they're, when they just, they're just like, they're not what you thought because you have an idea when you watch someone's work of who they are, but you are that person. Anyway, keep doing what you're doing and just enjoy yourself and much happiness to you and Butters and the other six cats. And I know next time that we speak, you're going to have nine cats and I can't wait to hear why. Please don't say that. Please don't say that. Please, Jan. You're a good person. You are. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. This is the Jan Arden Podcast. Uh, heard both internationally around the world and here locally, right in Springbank, Alberta. And we're talking to another freaking fabulous, hilarious, super talented guy. I don't even know why I'm having him on the show because it's quite intimidating. Jonathan Torrens joins us from somewhere in the Maritimes bubble. Jonathan, welcome. Celebrity couple named Jonathan. <gasps> I think this union is long overdue. I feel like the peanut butter to your chocolate. And I think people will be demanding a spinoff by the end of this conversation. If it goes the way I secretly hoped. Yeah, no, I, I feel the spinoff happening already. Jonathan, we're, Jonathan Ormond Torrens. Can you tell I was on Wikipedia? I was going to say, yeah, that's my mother's maiden name, Ormond. Um, I think it's a beautiful name. And it sounds, and I, I'm just going to put this out here. This is really random, but you that sounds like a Mormon name. Are you guys Mormons? We are not. Although on the <laughs> uh, ratings juggernaut Letterkenny problems, I've been playing a Mennonite for the past couple of seasons named okay. Noah Dick. Okay. Oh, wow. Typecasting. I Noah Dick. Noah Dick, yeah, and my wife is okay. Anita Dick. I just wanted to say, um, I just, I just wanted to say, say that name. <laughs> I know it's really fun to say. Um, Ormond is a French name. I think there was an actress, wasn't there? Julia Ormond. She pronounced yes. it kind of the same way. Um, and I debated during like Michael J. Fox when it was cool to have like an initial in your name. I debated briefly going by J. Ormond Torrens but I'm so glad I didn't. You are a really, really amazing singer. Like if people want to think back to the 80s, the 90s with Andre Gagnon, who was a, he, he really rose up through the ranks of uh, a singing impersonator, which we don't see a lot of, but you do amazing singing impersonations. One of mine, which we have played before you, came on the show today of Could I Be Your Girl? And it's freakishly good, Jonathan. You kind of you kind of made me 
I don't know. I felt very weird listening to it because you nailed so many of the little <laughs> isms. It's the sneaky runs that you do that um, like there's so many people, people, Anne Murray is another one who uh, people don't realize until you try to mimic that. I would argue I'm a decent mimic. I, I don't have my own voice, but until you try to sing a Jan Arden or Anne Murray song, you don't realize <laughs> just how sneaky <laughs> tricky it is. So I, I started with the kind of staples, like um, I have a weird Canadian niche group of impressions. Like I was doing a light foot, for a while, which most people kind of have in their toolkit. Um, I was doing uh, uh, Lyndon McIntyre from the Fifth Estate, a no-legged hurdler, a bungled burgle, and milk that curdles tonight on the Fifth Estate. They're like impressions <laughs> that you never will need in the world. There was also, a, what's the guy from On the Road Again? I'm Wayne Rossib from On the Road Again. So I wanted to cast a wider oh, net and see gosh. if I could do an impression of a woman. And you were my first attempt at a, at a female impression. And I have a high voice naturally. This sounds a lot like my dating history. Exactly. You have a high voice uh, and I do too. Um, but it, I'm so glad to hear that you took it in the spirit it was intended. My first oh my gosh, uh, bump was... in that way, I did a Stephen Page impression from um, uh, Bare Naked Ladies and I was worried that he wouldn't take it in the spirit with which it was intended, which is you can't impersonate someone unless you've listened to the records thousands of times. Yeah. What is it? You know, mimicking someone, it's the greatest form of flattery. I know that's not the quote at all, but I'm just going to throw that out there. But plagiarism is often, uh, you know, it, it's like if you're going to copy somebody's work, it means that you really like it. If you're going to steal somebody's stuff and do it, it means that you like it. Hey, I'm really flattered. I once went into a club years and years ago. My friend said, you got to come. There's someone doing, uh, there's a, a really great drag queen doing you. And, uh, you know, can you come on Friday night? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess. And uh, she goes, great. It's at 1 a.m. I'm like, what? 1 a.m. I was thinking like 7.30. Um, so Who wants to stay up till start... that? <laughs> Honest to God, anyone that goes out at one o'clock in the morning. When did you start this stuff, Jonathan? Like, were you in a little town where you live? Like, were you an only child? I don't know a lot about your, your growing up, but obviously it takes a lot of hours to perfect impersonating people. And I'm just wondering how you started doing it. Um, I suppose it was something that the people uh, I lived with, in other words, my family, kind of weren't surprised by. I always liked an accent and always kind of uh, was, someone who observed uh, the people around me and sort of drew from real life characters. Um, I, I started on Street Sense when I was 15 and still in high school and did that show for seven years. And it, it was on CBC, it was a show about consumer affairs. It didn't have any, the sexy cachet of Beverly Hills 90210, you know? But as a TV school, I got to create original characters every week, got to do impersonations. I did Don Cherry on that show and whatever, TV shows and whatever pop culture was big at that time, we would use that to tell um, tales about uh, financial awareness. So instead of Party of Five, it was like Party of Five Man Tent. Um, so you have to sort of develop these impressions. The same question could be asked of you though. Um, it's not fair. Like I have this impression of you because we haven't spent much time together at all. We met a couple of years ago at that thing where those people were. But yes. in my mind, you're like, you're having bubble teas with Cynthia Loist and you and Anne Marie play Sudoku. 
Um, but I know <laughs> you live in kind of a Jonathan. rural place like I do. How did you develop the acting chops? Hey, like, hey. where did that come from? I knew you were funny. Oh, um, those aren't acting chops, Jonathan. That is sheer terror. And, you know, I, I don't, you're very kind. Honestly, I don't think it's a huge stretch to play a weird version of myself, although I still have to learn the lines. I guess I had these visions of just showing up on the set with a show with my name on it and just being able to make up lines and ad lib the entire time. And that's just not the way it works because other actors have to say things with you and know what they're doing. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you for asking. And, and right back at you, I feel like I'm on your uh, podcast, the Taggart and Torrens podcast. And how is that going? Is that, is, are you guys having fun doing that? And, and you have a record out too, for God's sakes. We do. It's, I'm at the age and stage in my career where I'm just looking for kicks, as uh, maybe you are. Yeah. Um, the thing I like about a podcast is if you do Trailer Park Boys or Mr. D, for example, as you know, there's six months between taping and when mm -hmm. it comes out. I like the immediacy of a podcast. I like that it's a warts and all environment. And it's one of the only places you can have a long form conversation these days. So... Uh, I never thought I would tour the country, something you're very familiar with. We were able to do that through Taggart and Torrens. Um, we wrote a book a couple of years ago. We've made a record. Oh, I so, didn't know that. What was the book about? Yeah. Uh, it was about 200 pages too long. <laughs> um, it was called Canadianity, and it came out in the fall of Canada 150 when people were like, honestly, enough with the Canada already. But each chapter was about a different province or territory and our experiences there. You're in the book. I am? Of course. Well, that's, I, I feel ridiculously misinformed or uninformed that I didn't even know you had a book. But in my defense, Jonathan, you do a lot of stuff. Like going back to Mr. D, Mr. D was one of my favorite shows for years. And you guys did 10 seasons of that. Um, what, what do you attribute like getting back to the Canadiana thing, you seem to be specialized in what makes Canada super Canadian and the minutia of it. It's not just about saying sorry all the time, but why do you think a show like Mr. D just lasted so long? Like I laughed my ass off at that show all the time. You guys were such a terrific cast, Lauren Hammersley and just, just everybody was just She's so the best. Uh, Naomi Sneakers, like just, brilliant people but it was so canadian it wasn't it had that thing that um shows that last a long time do which is it takes place in a specific setting but allows for new characters every week so there was always story-wise like if you look at trailer park boys after 10 seasons you take the guys out of the park and viewers are like well but it's trailer park boys you bring new characters into the park and people are like but that's not the old characters and you do the same storylines again and people are like man you've done that before so it's really um, hard, as you know, to kind of keep something fresh. Thank you so much. That was Jonathan Torrens. Such a funny guy. Such a really great, nice guy. I keep asking him out, but he just refuses to go bowling with me. Up next is Geroid Fairley, one of the funniest guys I've ever met, other than Jonathan. Come on now. Uh, he's Irish, but don't, uh, you know, you might need a translator. He's got a bit of an accent, but my gosh, this guy's hilarious. He's up next. 
Welcome back. It's uh, the Jan Arden Podcast and Show. Garode Farley is here with us from Ireland. It is seven hours later in the day, so he's in the future speaking to us. Um, I, what I was going to say before we went to break is that at the very beginning, like two months in, I would say, into the pandemic, you started doing on Instagram a baking show. <laughs> It was like, but you really got some traction on it. You started doing, you know, morning television chat shows, people talking about, you know, this baking show. So basically you, you chose a recipe, whether it was really lofty, like a Nigella Lawson fricking, yeah. I don't know what, what the hell you were making, but you made all these really difficult baking things and people would follow along and then there was a winner and they didn't get a prize i don't think they didn't no they didn't no. they just got they just got the uh the the laudy the adulation essentially <laughs> of being the winner i of want the cash <laughs> I know. yeah it was it started out because i um i, I was doing insta lives because my tour got cancelled uh, and people were like, I have tickets for this date. And, and early in the pandemic, we didn't really know what was happening. So I was just doing Insta Lives to say, well, okay, that one's gone. That one's gone. Um, and we, I just mentioned I'd baked a cake. And then somebody suggested that we do a bake along. So I thought, okay, then we'll do that tomorrow night. And then one of my friends is one of the hosts of the, the Bake Off, uh, the professionals. So he was a judge. And, oh, Jesus. Uh, it just snowballed. <laughs> And then we were doing it every week and it was, uh, we'd great guests. And then it did get a bit, I, I did a few tellies where it came up in interviews. And then I remember one TV show contacted me to ask if, <laughs> ask if I wanted to cook, do the cooking segment. And I thought that is, that is people that have not seen the bake along because that is not what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it, I mean, things like that because of the pandemic, how could you have ever in a billion years, fairly imagined that you would be cooking in your kitchen. And never mind that, you if you guys were similar to what we were going through with the groceries, with uh, sugar, flour, yeast, um, you know, those first few months, the shelves were like cleared out. Everything was a yes. meme. And, you know, people were bartering with, you know, I'll give you two pounds of flour for a tea tablespoon of instant yeast. 100%. I had this really weird thing that happened where one of my friends texted me and said that there was a cafe uh, maybe seven or eight kilometers away that was selling bags of flour. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I, I, I better go get some. And we, we were within a, a five kilometer restriction at that point. I thought, oh God, I'm going to have to break it to get the flour. So I, I went, bought the flour, which they sold me in these clear plastic polythene bags. <laughs> so they were on the passenger seat of my car. <laughs> Midi's chipping in. Well, there's somebody at my gate, but just bear with me. Stay. Hi, opening the gate now. Hi, welcome. Welcome to my world. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the Jan Arden podcast. Uh, it's it's a very secured, uh, I have a very secure perimeter here. And Mitty, 
Sorry. Uh, don't edit that out. That's how I talk to my dog all the time. It's just very gentle. I thought Mitty was upset because I'd broken restrictions. I just no, thought you thought, no, you know I'm, what? I've had enough of this. <laughs> this is outrageous. I'm picturing you with your, your, uh, your, you know, your, your watch that's your, your fitness tracker. You're going, I'm at 4.7 kilometers. I'm at 4.8 kilometers. I'm going to go over the restriction. Never mind that flower in a Ziploc bag. Sounds like you're, you're visiting a drug yes. lord. And I had to and come back through a police checkpoint. No. Yes. And it, and I thought, oh my, I'm going to be arrested. This is the end of it now. Uh, but no, they, they never batted an eyelid. That's the Irish police. <laughs> Just not that interesting. Well, what would they do? What would they do anyway? Like... Yes, I've broken the five kilometer rule, which just seems like that's what I mean. We're going to look back at this and we're going to did we overreact in some areas? Did we completely underreact in other areas? I feel like history is going to be the only accurate thing that we have to tell us what the hell we did. I know. I'd love, I would love to know how they're going to write about this in the future, because it's been like, I, I do think that this is our world war. This was the thing that happened in our lifetime that was was the war. This was this is what it was. Well, I, I just uh, it's been so weird, and it still continues to be weird. I mean, I think the grocery thing has kind of righted itself. I we we did the flower thing went on for about eight weeks, and I don't know what yes. happened exactly. Someone's going to have to fill me in. Did the flour mills just suddenly were they out of? wheat were they just not able to keep up and then I've, i talked to a friend of mine who said that this guy that she knew had hoarded all this flour he had literally bought a hundred bags he went to all these grocery stores when it started happening and he bought all this flour and he had it in his basement and he was literally selling flour out of his back door for oh quadruple God. the price that it was like to families people with like four kids He's selling a bag of Robin Hood flour, you know, off the back stoop at, at midnight, you know, people coming in. He only took cash, obviously. And I'm just of like, course. I can't wait for some, for some of these stories to actually really come out. And Well, I, I did hear that the, the reason that there was a problem with flour was it was the bags. It was the bags that it gets transported in that they were, I think, from China or something. And that the flour was there, but that it actually couldn't be packaged. So that was the story I heard. That's, that is a new one. That is a new one for sure. So you got the flour from the cafe. You went back. Um, avoided jail. You avoided jail. Yes. Not, have you ever been to jail? Have you ever had to go to jail? No, no I've never. I've never. I've never, I've lived a very, a very honest life. I'm very, I'm very nervous of policemen. <laughs> I always have been. I have a lot of criminals in my family. So, you know, it's just sort of a, <laughs> it just seems like a regular thing to hear about. Oh yeah, your uncle broke out of the remand center on, uh, tied some sheets together. To me, I'm like, oh, that guy, what a, what a nut. What was he thinking? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I I promised people that we were going to talk about this, and that is Benifer. Um, I want to know what your take on this is. If this is some kind of publicity stunt, and I'm I'm sounding like I actually care about this stuff. I don't really know what I'm talking about. All I know is that they went out 20 years ago, and and I know people that absolutely hook up with their exes, 
But this just seems like the biggest debacle. There's pictures of them wandering through. They're in Italy somewhere. And it is an absolute crap show. It's very strange. It's really strange. I think that it does give... I think anyone that's ever been dumped, uh, and many times, <laughs> many, many times. I've, I've uh, never been think... broken up with, So, but go ahead. <laughs> you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. No. It's, you know, it's a thing that happens. You've probably heard about yes. it. Yes. But... Um, I think it gives everybody hope because we always have that thing in our heads. One day, they will, they'll come back. They'll have their regrets. Thank you so much for checking in with us. I can't wait to see you again in person. Just keep looking after yourself. I love your social media. Say hi to Boots. Don't bungee, don't bungee Boots from the balcony, please. Absolutely not. And, and thank you for everything you're doing. Like what you're doing with the horses in Calgary is... That is amazing. I always think that if we had more Jan Ardens, we could solve every world problem. And it's not even many more. It's like three. Well, my goal is to just make people sick of hearing the horseshit message. Like, um, I know it seems like a kind of an inappropriate word, but it really sums up, you know, what what the live export to other countries is. And you know what? You wouldn't put your grandmother in a crate and send her over there. Uh, I know that's a, that's probably a really terrible analogy. Anyways, he's winding us up. Thank you. Thank you. I will talk to you very soon. And um, you're listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. Totally do. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.